All right. Hello and welcome to Between the Liars with Ryan, Josh. Hello, hello, hello. Marcelo. Hello, everyone. And Austin. Oh, you're muted, Austin. Very strong start. How's it going, everybody? (laughs) All right, there we go. And today we're going to be covering Biden's recent vaccine mandate. We're going to talk about, we'll give you an overview. We'll talk about the constitutionality, the enforcement, our projected outcomes, and then the hot takes. But before that, we've got a few announcements to bring you. And I'll turn that over to Austin. All right. So to start off our announcements, we wanted to let everyone know that we are all over social media. You can go and find us on Instagram, travel to our Facebook page, find us on Twitter. And of course, you can find us on our YouTube channel by searching Between the Liars, where we'll be posting some of these live streams. Yeah, we actually have, um, along with this stream coming up on October 2nd, noon central. So uh, keep an eye on that and you can access that between our Facebook page or our YouTube channel. If you come and engage on our live stream, we'll be able to live respond to your comments and engage with you all, take any questions you have. And I'm sure, you know, even some of the input you all might have will be like wonderful and add some great points of conversation for us. So we would gladly, you know, have you here and, you know, would hope you come and join us. And on that note, I think it's important to address the elephant in the room, which will be that if you follow our YouTube videos and or our live streams, you will be ahead of schedule. You will be keeping up with us uh, live with whatever we're covering that week. If you are following along on podcasts, what we did trying to be smart uh, going into this, since we know that we're busy and we didn't want to hold people up with our wonderful content, was we had a reserve of around three to four episodes. So every Monday, what you're going to see is a drop of an episode that was recorded a couple of weeks ago. I've actually been very impressed with how current and relevant that stayed and that stuff hasn't really changed in the time between when we've recorded, edited, and dropped it. But if you're interested in keeping up with us live, you will be ahead of schedule just to note that. So take your pick. Uh, You can see us live and in person on YouTube and Facebook like Josh mentioned, or you can just listen to the beautifully edited versions on podcasts. So with that, we'll head over to the overview and I'll give it over to Marcelo. Yes. So what are we talking about today is the Biden um, vaccine mandate. Basically what Biden announced a while ago, which is that he is encouraging, actually mandating, that uh, the Department of Labor to make people vaccinate for all businesses with 100 or more employees. And what the consequence of, you know, if you don't follow this is that businesses will be fined 14000 per incident of non-compliance. So this is mainly targeted towards the private sector, as far as we're concerned, um, because we already mandated vaccines for federal employees. So they have all of that pretty much covered. Um, he's trying to target the private companies, the bigger private companies uh, with a lot of employees so they get vaccinated um, citing the health risk of people who've been unvaccinated and still going to work uh, does anybody have anything to add to kind of that overview before we kind of move on to more yeah. of our discussion base go ahead josh well um in addition to that some of the technicalities of this order is how it targeted some workplaces so it also targeted you know there was a workplace cap of 100 people that biden put on we also looked explicitly at people who do um, contracting with the federal government because there's a lot of smaller like software for firms and other firms and that don't have that employee threshold. So we also put that requirement of if you do business at all that contracts with the federal government, you'll need to have these same policies as a way to like further extend the impact of his order. There's a lot that's not really known at the moment on how this will be carried out. We do know that uh, President Biden has passed this through executive order uh, that has gone through the Department of Labor and is going to be enforced by OSHA. What we don't know is exactly how this will fall to the businesses. So, for example, you have the choice to either have your employees be vaccinated or test weekly. One question that comes to mind for me is how uh, or who rather will be paying for those tests because like those can run you know up to 
150 bucks at times, depending on where you're getting them from and the type of test that's going through. That can get pretty hefty. And if it starts cutting into the profit margins, it can either lead to damage to the business's profit margins and their ability to stay afloat, or it might be pushed off to employees. That much is not clear on where that will fall or who's going to kind of uh, suffer the bill, so to speak. I'm very excited to announce that I have a free option, an alternative, instead of getting tested weekly or biweekly. Um, it's called the vaccine, uh, available in, in your nearest CVS. All right. So I think that that can allow us to go on to the enforcement. Uh, like I mentioned, OSHA, the Occupation Safety and Health Administration, which is a branch of the federal government or is appointed by the president, they will be the ones enforcing this. They can fine and collect on those fines up to $14,000 per incident. I think what will be interesting is seeing like how OSHA becomes aware of it's enforcement because a lot of times with, you know, with those violations, it's impossible to have enough, you know, federal employees to audit things with a huge amount of success. There's so many job sites in America. And so obviously we don't want to spend that much money on auditors. So imagine there will be a large part up to employees to report, hey, you know, our workplace isn't implementing these rules. Same as, um, and unfortunately the case with OSHA is like you have to report a lot of workplace safety violations in general yourself, especially at like construction and other more manual labor oriented um, places. I think that's a good point, Josh, that this, while it's enforced by OSHA, it's also kind of regulated by the employees. So if you file that incident report, it can kind of be up to you and the employer, which means that if they're just, if a business, for instance, just chooses not to report these instances and kind of not to comply, so to speak, unless OSHA, you know, comes in and decides that that's what they want to do is enforce that, then you're not going to see really anything come of this. So OSHA has a very broad scope to choose kind of what they would like to enforce and what they would like to kind of let slide by in this instance. There's, I think there's also a converse point there of like, if you had a very close-knit place of work, and admittedly, that's hard to do at a 100-plus employee facility, but on paper, until you got randomly audited by OSHA, and that is something that happens, you know, same as the health inspector may occasionally show up, an OSHA auditor may occasionally show up and be like, hey, can I, you know, walk around your workplace and make sure you're, you know, complying with federal regulations? I've seen that happen. Um, welcomed it because, you know, they're there to keep people safe. But Theoretically, if no one talked and everyone was in agreement, and that's what they wanted their own workplace to be, they might be able to fly under the radar for a minute of it. Now, I do imagine, you know, you getting up to 100 people, you're going to start having a pretty diverse amount of opinions. Um, statistical sampling tells us as well, you know, you start getting a lot of people together, you're going to start seeing a lot, you know, more and more variances of how they view things. I think it's also important to note that the executive order that was passed by President Biden, uh, it, when it went through the Department of Labor, it was under the emergency temporary standards. That was why he passed this, why he said, I have to pass it through executive order. Congress isn't doing this fast enough. In a sense, he's evoking a state of emergency. And this is what we are potentially going to see battling out in the courts is, was this an appropriate use of executive powers? Uh, it is important to note that if the order that was issued doesn't meet the emergency temporary standards, then the argument here will be it should have gone through the legislator, strike it down, try again through Senate and the rest of Congress and actually have that be passed through. So there's kind of multiple layers to this. Number one, is it constitutional for the federal government to actually be able to kind of from the top down mandate this to happen? Was it appropriate for President Biden to do it in this way? And can it even be addressed by the courts? So I think that, that can kind of move us on to the constitutionality here, which we can start talking about. 
So for me, I'll kick this off by saying I have kind of a two-part concern, or if I'm representing the side of the constitutionality. Number one, we need to answer the question, can President Biden mandate health legislation at the federal level? We've seen instances like this happen, uh, such as when President Trump went ahead and closed the country right after we were getting into the worst parts of COVID uh, back in 2020. The second part of this is, does OSHA have the constitutional power to enforce this? So I'll kick that over to you guys to kind of start where you want. I think my first gut reaction would be to say that I I understand the constitutionality argument and why we want to check out basically like is it good or not that this is actually happening and like in the way that it's happening. But while I, you know, I understand that there might be a disagreement on like the way it's been implemented, I will say that I am very happy that it has been implemented. Um, there's way too many places with a lot of workers and if they're not requiring vaccinations, I feel like they should. And, and I will carry this throughout the entire conversation if I have to, is that vaccines are good and more people with vaccines it's a good thing. Now, Austin, what are what are your initial thoughts on this? I think a lot of the conversation around, you know, the vaccine mandate itself, it's been misconstrued by a lot of people as a, I don't know, taking a side against the vaccine itself, which I think I'd speak for everyone in this group right here that we're all, you know, it is a thing that works. It is a good thing. And, you know, if you're able to take it medically, if you're able to take it uh, for, you know, with it, if it doesn't conflict with religious things that you would have against taking it, for instance, then you should take it. It's a very good thing. With that being said, though, the question, I guess it's just two separate questions. Is the vaccine good? Can or should Biden have mandated this at the federal level? So anyways, just to preface this conversation, vaccine is a good thing if you're eligible to take it. And if you know you want to take it, you should definitely take it. <laughs> I would say it when we look at the idea of uh, the short-term emergency authorization, I think a pandemic ep- epidemic definitely fits that criterion of this isn't something we're expecting to be like long-term. So this isn't something like, a, you know, medicine someone's going to take for the rest of their lives. And so I do think it fits that definition of emergency short-term use. I also think it's worth like considering of like what we expect the president to do and what we expect our government to act and how um, what actions we want them to take. At this point of the pandemic, one in 500 Americans, one in 500 have died from the coronavirus. And this is one of the largest mass casualty events since the world wars. And I think that's something that makes us, you know, look at what type of, you know, response and what degree of a response we expect from our government to take. Josh, I think that that's a good point that's raised. I think that's important to consider. I also think that at this point, we're in a little bit of a different position than we were, especially at the beginning of COVID. Uh, we've got more certainty. We know where we're at with the vaccine. I, I think the main problem right now that we're facing is uh, trying to get those who are vaccine hesitant or just flat out don't want to take it, period, getting them on board with this. At this point, I, I think I can pretty safely say that anybody who wants the vaccine has gotten it at this point. We've had enough time. It's been authorized for enough people. It now has has FDA approval since our last episode over the vaccine passports. So you're not looking at quite the same level of a state of emergency. And so to me, that's where I start having more of an issue with the severe action, so to speak, that's being uh, taking place, particularly with how it's going to affect businesses, especially the small and mid-sized businesses. I think my counterpoint to that would be is if this um, does go on and this does continue, it will re-enter a state of crisis if it already has in it. Like a lot of the southern states, like there's stories like where a man in Alabama was having a cardiac event. He went to 43 different hospitals and was turned away because none of them were going to be able to treat him because they were entirely full with coronavirus pa- you know, patients. And the man died and he didn't need to. There could have been medicine available for him, but we're so overwhelmed trying to manage the current wave of coronavirus patients. And for some states, that's 
it's still getting worse. And there's on top of this, as long as the virus keeps spreading and mutating, we risk losing what we have gained with our vaccines. And the Delta variant is already a more spreadable variant, even if it isn't a more deadly variant. But the more times and times the virus is alive, the more it evolves and the more it can pose a threat of getting around our vaccines or becoming so destructive to the body that it overwhelms our vaccines rather than just getting around it. I would say that a lot of the conversation that we've had, even in this show too, before has been like, are we still in a state of crisis? And are we still in a state of emergency uh, to justify the actions that the government is taking? And I will say yes. Um, I will I'll agree with Josh here because we were seeing the numbers rise uh, of COVID cases. And the chart indicates that like we're getting to levels right now that we haven't seen since the previous winter, which was devastating. And we're going to get there because of Delta, because it's more contagious, because it's more deadly. And the speed that we have to take for this cannot be understated. Like we need to take action now. And I feel like making a, we can talk about educating people in a bit for sure, but like it's, we need to do something to get people vaccinated now. I think that ties in nicely to our earlier point about how uh, the people that we're struggling to reach right now are those who are vaccine hesitant or just refusing to take the vaccine. And you can see that Biden's action here is targeted towards those people specifically. And the people who are most at risk where the numbers of deaths are predominantly coming from are those who are not vaccinated. So in a sense, this is an effort to try to get those people in a position to where they don't they're not still the people who are at high risk uh, if and when they get sick. And so it's mandating this. So to me, this is what ties into the constitutional problem is if the legislator was to pass this, we'd be having a completely different conversation. I think it's the fact that it's by executive order that this winds up being a real question of and, and particularly scrutinizing whether or not the state of emergencies require that. Because in theory, executive orders should not be usurping the governmental powers from top down unless necessary. So I'm going to pitch this to Austin. Do you think this top-down, like more authoritarian approach is going to cause people to become more hesitant? Because I've heard that a lot from people that this move by the government could make the kind of conspiracy theories seem more legitimate. Um, I would agree with that. I think that um, particularly since it is coming from such, it is such a strong centralized top-down decree, I think that it's going to be interpreted in a way that isn't going to make people get over their vaccine hesitancy. I think that'll be particularly reflected. In, and let's let's say that I am a business owner or I am an employee in this case who buys into that. Now I'm just, in, in my opinion, incentivized to not report and not comply. So we haven't really done anything. And we've wind up um, increasing the legitimacy of the claims that Biden is being authoritarian and totalitarian in the way that he's doing things. And I can still resist him in that way. It seems to me that the more effective track, uh, just like with anything else related to science or medicine, would just be more transparency and honesty about what to expect going forward from the vaccine itself and from the Delta variant and future variants. I think there was, particularly around the end of 2020, there was a lot of thoughts of like, okay, everyone gets a vaccine, the disease disappears just overnight. That's probably not what's going to happen. That doesn't seem to be the current trend of thinking among experts and uh, where we think things are, or where people think things are going to go. It definitely attenuates symptoms. It reduces the severity of disease and the vaccines are very good at keeping people from passing away, but it definitely won't just uh, make the virus disappear. That's again, that's great points for the vaccine. That's an awesome thing. But I think the misplaced expectations have also contributed to a lot of vaccine hesitancy as far as seeing like, oh, well, that person got the vaccine. They still got it. What's the deal with that? Transparency on the front end could have mitigated some of those things because people shouldn't expect to not get the disease if you have the vaccine. You can still catch it. But that wasn't the point of the vaccine in the first place. It was to attenuate the symptoms that you would get from catching it after being vaccinated. One of my 
and we're not there at hot takes yet, but one of my hottest takes is the idea of me trying to understand the point of view of people who don't want to take the vaccine. And it's this idea that Austin, you mentioned that like hesitancy of like, if I tell them you should take the vaccine and it's going to work, they don't believe me. And if I tell them, tell, take the vaccine and it might work, then they, they're going to say, well, why would I take it if it might not work? So it's it's been and I'm laughing and it's obviously it's not a laughing matter but 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 I hope you understand the frustration that then that we've seen with like all of the disinformation that's going on in the media and even like famous people that what I will not mention here that are talking about like their family members who have extreme cases and in in like in in this scenario they're just lying and nothing that people's like a scientist can come out and, and say something and if they don't believe them and nothing will. It's definitely a hard road to navigate because the well has been so poisoned for the past, well, since the pandemic started. Honestly, I don't know how large centralized organizations and authorities gain their credibility back, considering how much things have changed over the past year. And as we brought up in previous podcasts, to a certain degree, that is how the scientific method works. Of course, as we get more information, things change. But a lot of the declarations that have been made over the were made in a way that sounded more concrete than they should have been, if that makes sense. They were always tentative, which should be an understanding going into the conversation. But what you hear from the TV is, you know, that message did not come across at any point, which I think has been kind of a fumble, which is not a good thing because it's led to a lot of um, terrible outcomes. Yeah, we actually had a conversation um, pretty similar to this idea actually just yesterday in my uh, health communication class. And I can promise you there is a lot of research about the coronavirus messaging and governmental responses that's going to flood health communication journals for the next few years. And it was something that we brought up of like when we're looking at how the government at first responded to the vaccine. And Dr. Fauci came out and said, you know, I'm not sure. You know, I don't know if we need masks. I can't make that recommendation yet. And there was a lot of common sense to infer that we were probably going to need to have, you know, and wear masks because it was a respiratory virus. And that's what all, you know, coronaviruses are. It shares similarities with SARS, which also like was greatly mitigated in parts of Asia through mask wearing. And almost there was a dedication to the scientific method that may have been a little bit harmful to getting people around because, you know, even people respond this way to the flu vaccine. They say, well, the flu vaccine only gets a couple of the strands of the flu going around. So, you know, why should I bother getting it? There's part of, um, I, I definitely can see what, Mar you know, with, with Marcel here and saying like, there'd be that kind of same response. But I also, you know, think there's a danger of being overconfident than being wrong. And then everyone's just like, you lied and we're wrong. And is that worse than being unsure in the long term we're seeing that kind of played out live okay i'll i'll i'll, I'll concede some some ground there like i i was a little upset well maybe not upset is not the right word but when when they like sort of flip-flopped on the idea of like mask wearing and how effective it was i almost felt like a little too righteous and wearing masks from the beginning and then i was like well actually it doesn't do that much and even now that i'm fully vaccinated um and like should i wear a mask am i am i being more protected less protected Am I better for wearing a mask? It's still like honestly unsure. So sure, I think that they, they could have done a much better job with that messaging. Well, even with the speech that we're kind of pulling most of this information from as far as what exactly his executive order is going to entail, President Biden does spew some anti-scientific rhetoric in that he winds up saying that we as the vaccinated are frustrated with the unvaccinated because you're putting us at risk. When in reality, the data says that you are incredibly low risk, uh, particularly if you're not in the um, upper age brackets to where, you know, 75% of the cases that we've had that have been breakthrough cases have been 65 or older. Again, like Austin mentioned, 
mentioned earlier, that's not to say that you're not at risk, period, but rather when he seems to, on the one hand, say that, you know, this is so problematic for us um, who have the vaccine that I have to issue this emergency order, and on the other hand says, but go get the vaccine, I think that that definitely feeds into the anti-scientific rhetoric and continues to make people even more hesitant to get the vaccine, which goes against the entire purpose of what he's doing here. I don't know. There's something to be said about people who can't get the vaccine through a variety of medical conditions or um, people who have the vaccine, but because of, you know, compounding medical conditions, whether they're in control of those conditions or not, you know, we don't usually use that metric for um, medical, you know, care. It's like we don't turn away patients who are unvaccinated, even though they could have prevented their condition. So if someone's comorbidities are caused by their own choices, that isn't going to play into effect of whether or not and how we triage care. We triage care based on your probability of making it. But there is something to be said about, you know, people who are immunocompromised can't get the vaccine. Children who, you know, are still too young to get the vaccine are being put at like this exposed risk and losing access to their freedoms and to society because of the very severe threat this virus still poses to them. People should be able to go to Walmart and get their groceries without having to be afraid they're going to die of a virus. And for probably several hundred thousand, several million Americans, that's still true. And I think the president's right to speak up on their behalf and take their side on this issue. I can move on to uh, one of the precedents that they're using in defense for this, if you guys want, or if uh, Austin, Marcel, you guys had any final thoughts before we move on to to that section? Oh, go ahead. Okay. Uh, So one of the main cases that I've been hearing in support for uh, why this is constitutional comes from Jacobson versus Massachusetts. So this was a Supreme Court case decided in 1905, and I will read you what their decision said. So it said that the police power of the state embraces such reasonable regulations relating to matters completely within its territory and not affecting the people of other states established directly by legislative enactment as will protect the public health and safety. While a local regulation, even if based on the acknowledged police power of a state, must always yield in case of conflict with the exercise by the general government of any power it possesses under the Constitution, the mode or manner of exercising of police power is wholly within the discretion of the state as long as the Constitution of the United States does not contravene. So what this is saying in a nutshell is that the state governments, because this case was about can state legislators mandate vaccines at the state level? And this is now trying to be applied to the federal level. One of the main takeaways here is that the state did have the right to mandate that if they thought that that was the case. However, as per the 10th Amendment, it cannot contradict powers that are delegated to the federal government. Thoughts on that? Um, I can think of a few states that wouldn't pass this mandate and that have actually passed mandates against the idea of a, va- of a vaccination mandate. So um, I agree with the principle and I do think it should stand, especially because the federal government will agree with the federal government. Uh, that sounds very simplistic, but I, I, I believe that if, if they follow this line of thinking, the government should be able to mandate the vaccination if necessary. If it's left to the states, I can think of a few that wouldn't pass this or have worked towards not like actively saying we're not going to force you to get vaccinated. So to me, uh, the the main issue there is who is executing this this order. If it was the state government, I'd be like, great, this actually agrees with this. With the federal government, particularly coming from Biden, um, I think that even if the federal Senate or the, the the U.S. House had passed this, I would still question whether or not they could mandate this. However, I I would defer a little bit more if it wasn't by executive order. Like again, I think that uh, Biden even says in his speech, part of the reason he's doing this is because of the 
governors who, like you mentioned, Marcelo, are standing in the way here. And he basically said that he's going to do everything in his power to get them out of the way, which that completely undermines the concept of enumerated powers, the distinction between the governments. In fact, he doesn't have via the Constitution, the power to do that. So in an essence, that needs to be deferred to the state levels. And then whether or not they would actually pass these is a different question. I think this case and Biden's mandate are, as we might would say in debate, two ships passing in the night, meaning they don't really have that much due to each other. So the J- Jacobson's versus Massachusetts case gives us some contextual evidence of where like, well, Americans have consented in the past of like a government agency enforcing vaccines. But I do think there's a couple of like critical differences of one being the type of uh, mandate that Massachusetts did here, which was basically, you know, um, as the conspiracy theorists have already accused Biden of doing like door to door police power enforcement of vaccines. And I think, you know, the second, obviously, there's a difference between a state government doing, and in particular here, it's a state legislator doing it. So it's not like the state governor used the state workplace safety agency to do this. So I don't think this really enlightens whether or not OSHA can do this, let alone whether or not the federal government can do it. But that's why I think it leans heavy on the federal government's burden to protect and provide um, safe workplaces as laid out by Congress and previous legislation that, you know, delegates the president, you know, not only created OSHA, but gives him the power to give, you know, executive orders over um, OSHA. Austin, what are your thoughts on this? I think the rhetoric is pretty striking. Um, Just to comment on what Biden said, you know, we're going to, or any of the governors that stand in the way, you know, we're basically going to move them out of the way, just to paraphrase. I think that's a little bit striking. Vaccine aside, I, I think that kind of rhetoric would not only it should, you know, startle Americans. I certainly don't think it would promote unity. And I don't think it's going to encourage, again, to take it back to people who may be vaccine hesitant, who could get the vaccine. I I don't think it's going to contribute to them doing what this mandate is wanting them to do. I think it's a little bit defeating to kind of make those sort of, you know, pretty harsh declarations from a central place of power. I already said it, but I'll say it again. If you left it up to the states, we would be in the same position that we are right now. Like all of the blue states or most of the blue states would be like, yeah, sure, we'll make people get vaccinated. And some have already done it, like New York's vaccine mandate, California's vaccine mandate in some areas. Um, and then all of the red states would be like, well, we don't care. And we're actually going to. And it's not that they don't care. They actively are working and they have worked to, to pass these uh this legislation that is basically telling people that you cannot force your people to get vaccinated, which I think it's even worse. I've said it before, and I said this in our segment over vaccine passports. I'm obviously not against the vaccine. I'm against it being mandated, but particularly from the top-down level. And one of the main reasons that this is troubling to me is because OSHA is appointed by the president. It is like the, the head of OSHA, as I've understood it, is appointed by the president of the United States, which means that OSHA is not answerable to the people of the United States. We don't get a say on that. We get a say on who we put into the Senate who confirms or denies that appointment. But once OSHA is given the power to do something, there is no referendum that the people can have on, say, the upcoming midterm elections. You're you're stuck with what the president of the United States has chosen to put in there. Um, So once every four years, we do have the option to kind of come back from what decisions we liked or didn't like. But at the same time, this is something that is not directly answerable to the people in the same way that your legislators are, which is why it was a originally set up to where the legislator would be the one doing this because if the people didn't like it, 
they could recall them, like we saw the attempt the other week for Gavin Newsom, or they could just vote them out in the midterms. Uh, I disagree with that take because of the inherent structure of the U.S. government. Ryan, we're going back to civics. Um, people do have recourse here. Um, they can they can sue. They can take it to court, and I imagine this is how it's going to be done. Different state governors and their attorney generals will, and private citizens and private business owners may join on and uh, sign on and become plaintiffs in those cases. So yeah, OSHA is appointed by the government, reported by the president, president, confirmed by our elected representatives who are there to act on our behalf. So we're trusting them with that already. So we have a say over that. Um, and again, we have a say over, uh, we have our say through the court system of whether or not this fits the you know bill with uh, procedure. So I, I, the Americans have a lot more say, I think, than you give them credit for, um, thanks to you know the structure of our government having an independent uh, judicial branch. Well, you've pointed out that there's checks and balances. Of course, that's the case. And that wasn't what my point was, was that there's no checks and balances, but rather that the reason that this shouldn't be done through executive order is because it wasn't given to President Biden in the first place. And the fact that we as the United States people have to sue in order to get what should have been the correct process is ridiculous. Congress should be doing this. And the point the point that you know they, they are not doing their job and the president decides that that's his permission to step in on everyone else's behalf and mandate what is and is not in our best interest, that that point still stands, though, even though we, we have a response that we can give. But it's much more difficult. But isn't it the court who makes it the call of whether or not it's the president's responsibility and not our political philosophies, realistically? Like, they'll take an exam of the case law and look at what's there, and they'll, you know, consign, based on the Constitution, all of the other documents they like, lo- you know, like looking to, and say, this is within the president's power. If we don't like that, then that really is a call to, you know, overhaul of legislators, because if the court rules it's in the president's power, That's because the legislators throughout the ages have made it that way. So this actually raises an interesting question, which is the other thing that might make this very difficult and tricky, particularly the way that this is being done. It's the principle of Chevron deference. So I'll read what that is here. It's when a legislative delegation to an administrative agency on a particular issue or question is not explicit, but rather implicit. A court may not substitute its own interpretation of the status for a reasonable interpretation made by the administrative agency. In essence, what this winds up meaning is that if OSHA is given the broad orders that you must enforce this and then they're given the jurisdiction to do that. If the Supreme Court is to weigh in on this, they're not allowed to make specific inferences because OSHA is in and of itself answerable to itself. They were given a broad mandate. So one of the criticisms here and why this might be difficult for the people to actually sue is because uh, you've got Chevron deference, which the court might choose to uphold and remove themselves entirely, which would remove the check. It does say, though, on the reasonable interpretation made by the administration agency, and the court will be the one deciding whether or not the interpretation was reasonable, because in order for them to intervene here and get past this Chevron deference, then they'll have to say, then, you know, you weren't being reasonable in your interpretation, and we're now going to substitute our own. So it is deference, but it's not, um, you know, it doesn't take away the power of the court by any measure, um, should a majority of, you know, federal or, you know, federal bench or the Supreme Court decide, you know, this is not correct. Correct. And technically, I think this will probably also go to your point, Josh. The court, while it's you know supposed to be non-political, we see it politicized all the time. Therefore, they might choose to weigh in regardless. But if Chevron deference is enacted, then what we will see is that you know that that can cripple kind of the case that would be brought in that instance. Don't worry, conservatives. Have faith in your three-six stack court. Uh, Marcelo, what are your thoughts on this? I uh, um, I mean. And it's gonna it's gonna fall on the other side. I feel the situation 
And we've talked about government overreach before when presidents do it and the executive does it. Because I, I have complained about it when Trump was in office, when he was doing things that I didn't like, and now Biden is doing things that I like. And I'm like, yes, please do it more. So I understand the contradiction here, for sure. Absolutely. Like, I, I, And I'm shameless in admitting that I love that he's doing the mandate because I want people to get vaccinated. Sue me. Um, don't sue me. But yeah, that's that's... Like, constitutionality is an argument in the way of, like, execution or, like, the feasibility of the policy passing. And I really have no other thoughts on it other than, you know, I I wish the Congress wasn't so busy trying to pass another multi-trillion dollar package that I believe we need. So I'm glad that they're putting in the work. If they could take, I don't know, a few days, it wouldn't take a few days. If, if they could take some time to pass this too, and then maybe people would complain about it less. This is shifting us nicely into kind of what we think some of the outcomes could and might be. Um, Austin, what are kind of your last thoughts on the constitutionality before we move on, though? Just broadly, the mandate itself, you know, to, uh, to my ears just does sound a lot like more like it would be at home in legislation. I really I mean, we've, we've mentioned it throughout this section, but I do think that like Marcelo just mentioned, people would be a little bit less freaking out about things if it had been, you know, the very busy Congress that had passed it as opposed to Biden doing it from a singular seat of power. Would it be fair to say then that we've basically all agreed that there's constitutional issues, which pretty much guarantees this will be dragged before the courts. But then we have different ideas on whether or not we agree with it happening and its goodness. Like, is that fair? It, uh, I'll add out an addendum. It could be perfectly constitutional. Everyone could know it could be perfectly constitutional and they would still drag it to court all oh, sure. the 2020 election. They I'll, will I'll give you that. make up their own conspiracies when the facts are against them. It doesn't matter anymore. Is is that fair statement, Marcelo, from kind of your last comments then? Um, yeah, for sure. I feel like um, people have gone to court for the court for less. Um, and, and, and so I, I think that, yeah, I don't, I don't really see a world in which our government passes a vaccine mandate and people don't go up in arms about it. So that'll, that'll, I'll, I'll kick off our, our outcomes then by talking about how I, I do think that this, I don't see a way in which this doesn't get dragged before the courts. And if it can go all the way up to the Supreme Court and they'll hear the case, it'll go there. Um, I can pretty much guarantee that. I think that the grounds for that will likely be one, the accusation that Biden is overstepping his executive jurisdiction as per the Constitution. I also think that the fact that it's mandated through OSHA, which has much more uh, broad scope than say the legislators and the fact that this was passed through executive order rather than the legislator, I think all of that's going to be hauled before the court and that'll be their reasoning for, for doing this. In terms of other outcomes, uh, what's the group's opinion on the effect on, because like, I, w I want you to expand more on the idea of like how this would be bad for business owners and employers. I assume that was directed at me. Uh, so the the way that I can see this being problematic for business owners is, number one, we're at a vulnerable point right now where people are not really wanting to come back to the office. Um, restaurants, uh, fast food industries, industries that rely on traffic from people um, and require staff to keep those up, I can see this causing issues for them getting people to come back in. Either I could see where they start losing profit margins because they can't unless they choose to fire their employees, really force this to happen, or I could just see them overriding this and then getting into uh, legal trouble with OSHA. But the bottom line, I can see this coming back around to where it's a monetary issue for businesses to enforce this on their employees, and they're put between either paying that or uh, they might have to just start firing people so that they can actually keep it and only have those who are vaccinated. 
Uh, I have a bit more snark uh, to throw, um, and it's going to be uh, if you live in a state where your state government isn't still providing you free tests that you can go down to your local health department or any several extra sites they've set up around, um, then you're also in a state that's probably going to sue the federal government over this vaccine mandate in the first place. And you're probably in a state where less than 50% of the people are vaccinated. So take a hard look at your own state government if like this is causing problems for your business or for you financially. It's your legislators and your health departments that stopped paying for your tests while New York, California, and the state the majority of them, you know, the majority of Americans in the metropolitan areas live in still have access to um, free tests. So tad bit more snark. <laughs> Definitely snark. I think that that's coinciding with Biden's displacement of the blame is he basically says in his speech that the reason that I have to overstep my constitutional bounds is because you all won't figure this out. And that's just not a reason for him to do this. So this will boil all the way back up to him executing this. Now, the fact that OSHA comes after the states and the states have to pay it, uh, sure, like you said, Josh, I'll agree with that, that that comes down to their personal decisions. But make no mistake, it starts from the top. And the fact that, you know, Biden has done this and overstepped his bounds doesn't undercut. I don't think that your point there undercuts that. I'll say that I don't really, and this is a preview of my hot take in, in, in a few minutes, but living under a capitalistic society where you have to work to eat and survive. I don't know how many people face with the ultimate choice of like, get this free vaccine that will save your life or quit this job. I don't know how many people will choose the idea of like, yeah, I'll get fired because Biden is an authoritarian. Like I'll, I'll quit my job and I'll starve. Like I, I, I believe that at the end of the day, the punishment that workers will face if they don't take the vaccine will be hard enough. And maybe maybe this won't happen, but I believe that most people will just take the vaccine, even though they don't believe that it'll be very effective. And so in that way, the outcome is will be a positive one. Yes, you'll harm the credibility of people, whatever, but you'll have people with more vaccines, which is what people want, which is what some of us want. I think coming out of this, as with most things we've seen in politics the past few years, if you already were positive toward Biden, you will come out of this loving him more. If you had any reservations about Biden, you will come out of this being very, very wary of his administration. I don't think this would be a move that's promoting unity um, at all in a pretty politically tenuous time for our nation. I think politically it's not a good thing. And I would be curious to see what the implications would be for smaller businesses. Large corporations, they can top down mandate it and just kind of, they can either eat the cost or they can just can people whenever. But business, smaller businesses where people are integral, if they decide to leave, I don't know um, if they would be able to handle that if someone did decide they didn't want to get vaccinated. I still think um, even tying back to Marcella's point of like how this is a capitalist system and you have to work to eat, then it's not an unrealistic um, expectation of society, this mutual thing. We're building to have a safe place to work and, you know, a vaccinated society is getting uh, to that. I also think it comes down to remembering that there are people who can't get the vaccine and are put out of basically where they're locked out of access to society that we all have access to. To because of their medical, you know, condition, conditions that are inherent about them, you know, whether they chose them or not. And at some level, there's an aspect of like a civil rights issue. Part of the federal government's case against schools that have banned mask mandates is that it's a civil rights issue for students who are immunocompromised, can't get the vaccine or too young to get the vaccine, that they can't be protected and go to school in a safe environment. And our government throughout um, the ages has had to take some pretty anti-unity, pretty strong-armed authoritarian actions to 
impose efforts to make sure society was equal for all of its members when the same states that are now refusing to um, help get their populations um, vaccinated, when those same states refused to integrate their schools, we sent the army, the actual army, to go there and mandate a town comply with a, you know, a legally authorized federal order. And, I, you know, that's why I think, you know, they have legally authorized will, you know, come up in the courts. But the idea that people's access to society and the, you know, the idea that they deserve to live in a fair, uh, you know, fair world that's not going to discriminate against them for their medical conditions has to be a taken count of like what we expect out of our government to do. And like, why is it to exist if not to help provide an equal ground for Americans and not to use its power to make that happen when it needs to? I think the rhetoric that Biden's giving in this last speech winds up directly undercutting that because the vaccines are effective. We know that to be the case. Not only does it reduce your likelihood of getting and spreading COVID, if you do happen to get it and you are one of those breakthrough cases, it's a much milder case and you're almost guaranteed not to die if that were to be the case. And to say that the reason for what many are going to be calling an authoritarian move on his part is because those of us who have the vaccine are at risk is going to cause people, if they think about it, to question, okay, well, if I'm mandated to get the vaccine and I'm still at risk, then how is that going to wind up improving the situation of the people that you mentioned, Josh, where they're at risk regardless? Like that, there's, I think that his rhetoric there winds up undercutting the efficacy of the vaccine and selling it short of what it can actually do, particularly with the way that it kind of cuts against the grain of, of what's actually the case. The people who are at risk are those who are unvaccinated and, and that will remain true. Right. But the people who have breakthrough cases and are die are largely 65 plus and, you know, among our elders um, and community. And the federal government has a civil rights mandate to not let discrimination, age-based discrimination occur in this country. It is the civil rights of people 65 and older that they have the same, you know, reasonable expectation of access to Walmart as the rest of society, the reasonable expectations to their places of work as the rest of the society. And to say, you know, that, you know, sure, it's only a select few of you are dying. But that's to turn to those people and patients who are dying and people who we could help if more people were vaccinated and say, you know, your civil rights, your life, you don't matter. And I think that's a strong statement of our government to make in consideration a policy of saying, you know, at what point am I willing to trump someone's, you know, political, you know, partisan take for the sake of another human being and their right to be a member of our society? I guess, Josh, kind of one of my responses to that would be that, you know, there's there's many, many things that are harmful to people. I mean, obesity, heart problems, like there's many, many things that can cause numbers of deaths. And I will never agree with that leading to an overstepping of the governmental bounds. I think that there's specific emergency instances where that happens. I think that the Brown versus Board of Education instance where they send in the military was an example of that. I think that when we've seen example cases of this, um, even through COVID, which is more recent history, I, I think that that remains true that there will be instances where the federal government has that interest. I'm just not seeing that line up in this particular case. And again, all of this is is even assuming that this goes through and doesn't get struck down. Realistically, to kind of go back to Marcella's question, my answer to that is only if this happens to go through. I don't see this happening. I see at the state level, you'll have not only suing of the federal government, which is precedent and can happen, uh, whether or not the win is another question, but it, it can happen. The people can sue. I think that you'll just have non-compliance. I think that you will have individuals who not only take this to the Supreme Court, but businesses who just say, you know what, OSHA requires me to report it short of them actually showing up and auditing us. This isn't going to be a thing. So realistically speaking, I don't even think this is going to be enforced. I just have a problem with the precedent that President Biden is setting by doing this. Then I don't really understand what the problem is. I mean, yeah, OK, I like I, you know, I understand that, you know, he's doing it in a way that, you know, he probably should have asked every single American, should I do this or not before doing it? 
whatever. Um, but I, I also, I guess my point is that if it's going to get struggling, if it's going to get sued into oblivion by every other state, if at the end of the day, the, the, this, this attempt at a mandate makes at least like three more people get, get vaccinated, that, that makes me happy. Like, I, I'll, I'll be like, yeah, like, let's let's do it. And and that's I guess that's my point is because my, my ultimate goal is not to preserve someone's freedom to be sick. My ultimate goal is to preserve people from being sick and for, um, and by default from getting vaccinated and you know like i guess in, in this case the outcomes of the mandate are nothing but positive for me i think you're definitely seeing particularly from president biden's perspective that i'm sure he shares the same thing which is which is why he does that i, I think that the different perspectives and and how those are held on the court and what the precedent is will really determine that all right we will be right back with our hot take all right we're back I already mentioned this before, but my hot take for today is that even if I just said that I love the vaccine mandate and I wanted to see it implemented, I also think it's in some way ironic that the the purpose behind the vaccine mandate, which is to people making them get vaccines, is powered through the um, the threat of you being without a job. Like it, it's basically the government telling you, like if you don't want to take this vaccine, you're going to get fired. Then your job is going to like suffer. Your boss is going to like fire you or cut you off in some way. And and to me, that's like really interesting because it cuts deeper into the reason why we're here in the first place, which is the government is not giving us enough aid to survive during the pandemic. And I hope I'm not shifting the ground here. But to me, it's like, yes, while I love the idea of the vaccine mandate, uh, specifically, like I would love to see it implemented. I also can't help but think that this is the government basically embracing the idea of like, if you don't work, you starve. And because we know you're going to starve if you don't work, we're going to make you do this or else. And there's no else because you're going to have to do it. That's my prediction. If this goes through, then it's going to be very effective just simply based on the threat that it presents. All right. So my hot take is going to be that, number one, this this is unconstitutional. I think that President Biden oversteps the bounds. I think he oversteps the enumerated powers, that separation and undercuts it with the way that he's chosen to do this. And I know that we've heard a lot in this discussion about all of the good reasons to do this. Go back and listen to our episode on COVID passports. You'll hear that we had unanimous agreement over the fact that vaccines work and that they should be used. And we recommend that you take them if your health history does not prevent that from happening. But this executive order winds up making this an authoritarian move that undercuts that delegation of powers to the states. And that'll come to my second hot take, which is that this should be left to the states. It's particularly troubling to me that President Biden winds up saying that he will do everything in his power to get those who stand against him out of the way, regardless of whether or not you you think the vaccines are good, they work, and they should be used, it should also be particularly troubling to you that the president of the United States is trying to undercut the powers that were not delegated to him. Federal government has what was left to to them specifically, and then the states get the rest of it, which means that as much as it might go against what you believe, the states have to fail on their own. If you don't like it, you can move. The point where my state overrides that, I, I will do my best in that instance to move. So I think that the powers of separation is an important thing to uphold. President Biden doesn't have the constitutional power to do this. And my big takeaway from this is that it has to be left to the states. You can't overstep regardless of the end you're trying to achieve. I'm going to disagree with Ryan. I think this is perfectly constitutional. OSHA is a federal regulatory agency, has broad power to oversee the workplace safety, but it's, you know, occupational uh, safety uh, and hazard um, authority or agency. I forget what the actual acronym is in other than occupational safety. They have a 
tons of rules. There can't be an excess amount of radiation at your workplace. There can't be things that are overly carcinogenic floating around the air. I worked at a chemical lab and we had all types of like very, very dangerous things that laid around. And there was a ton of OSHA rules and regulations about their handling, storage, what to do in case of spill, accident, cleanup. Um, and all of that was overseen by OSHA to make sure everyone that worked there at the company was safe and could do their job day to day. And we could be successful as a business. And so part of me does want to, you know, looks at this as, you know, if we're doing this as an emergency authorization to stop, you know, a hemorrhaging of life here in America and to restabilize our economy as the coronavirus has continued impacts um, of our economic future and our social future, that this is well in the purview of the federal government to act under um, an emergency situation to provide care. There are people dying in ER waiting rooms and just suffocating on their own breath and mucus in their lungs. There are people who are having heart attacks and can't get seen uh, by a doctor throughout their entire state. Our healthcare system, especially in the Southeast, isn't doing that good. If you get in a car wreck, there may not be an ambulance to come get you. You're more likely to bleed out in the road in a car wreck right now in Mississippi than an ambulance be able to get you and take you to an ER because there's not an ER to go to right now. All of our ERs are pretty much coronavirus wings. And so if you have a stroke, you have a heart attack in Mississippi right now, you die. I'm not even, I'm not even, I'm not joking on that one. You die because the doctors can't get to you to help. And so there's a lot of like compounding factors of like what plays this into making an emergency and also stress the fact that one out of every 500 Americans has now died from this coronavirus, over 600,000 deaths, and we'll probably see closing into 700,000 by the end of this year. How many lives have to die? How many people do we have to lose? How many students have to email me about a funeral of their family members for this to be a crisis and emergency that war that warrants the weight of our federal government to use the power of its occupational safe safety agency to make sure America can continue strong and healthy into the future? For my hot take, I honestly, I sound, feel like I sound like a broken record on a lot of these, but when it comes to these centralized mandates from the executive branch, I've never really been a fan. Trying to be consistent, I really haven't been a fan whether the mandate is something that I like or whether the um, ex an executive order is something that I find favorable. I don't really care for it because the more you centralize power and authority, the sloppier things get. The more heavy-handed, heavy-fisted they get, and you lose a lot of nuance. I think in light of some of the things I've been reading lately, I do think there is sort of a third way um, as far as it goes with employers. Uh, instead of only having the options of getting tested weekly or getting the vaccine. I do think for people who have had the virus and recovered, there is also the portion of the equation of um, antibody testing. The vaccine itself is a means to an end to produce antibodies in your body. I think the more options that are available to people, I know this is about mandating vaccines, but I do think for the sake of the polity and everything else, I think that we should be able to have a few more things considered as far as the end of what a vaccine would produce or what having the virus itself would produce, and that is antibodies. So all of that boiling down to, I don't think the vaccine mandate was the way to go. I don't think these large centralized authority figures coming down on the American people is the way to go in such a divisive time. And I think that we need to take a step back and think about some of the implications that th this sets as precedent. All right. I'm sure you find yourself somewhere between the liars. Join us next time. Goodbye for now. We'll be right